We are in a sermon series called Kingdom Hospitality, and what we're doing is we're learning from the Lord of hosts, who is Jesus, about giving and receiving hospitality. What does hospitality look like to Jesus? What does he say it should look like to his believers, to those who are following him? And we've, one of the things that we've pointed out in this series the last few weeks is that Jesus received hospitality. There is story after story where someone invites him in, someone offers something to him, someone uh, welcomes him, and he says, yes, I will come to your house. Yes, I'll eat at your table. Yes, I will come where you're at. And he says that to people who are not religious, and he says it to people who are religious. He says it to all kinds of people. He says it to people who don't like him. He says it to people who love him. He says, yes, I will receive your hospitality. And he, we see in other parts of the Bible, says to his followers, you should do the same. Someone welcomes you, someone receives you, say yes. He also then often turns into the host, even when he's the guest. Or he will uh, use opportunities when he's at a table to share insights about how we welcome people well, how we host people well. And what we notice is that he receives outsiders. Over and over again, what his message is is that it's not just for insiders. It's for outsiders too. Now he does receive insiders. He does help insiders, especially those of us who don't quite see quite right. He does help us to see things. He's patient with us. But he he wants it known. He wants to receive outsiders. So when he's invited over by friends with Martha and Mary, he he says, well, Martha does a great job. She welcomes him. She hosts it. She's all about the service things and all those things are good but she gets filled with anxiety about what needs to be done. And so one of his lessons that he's teaching on hospitality is we don't want the things to become more important than the people. So listening is more important than being filled with anxiety. He's at another place where a Pharisee asks Jesus in, and he's trying to figure out, what do I think of Jesus? And then a sinful woman comes in, a woman that, he, that the Pharisee would never invite over, and the, and the woman is, is um, blessing Jesus, and Jesus is receiving it. And so now he's analyzing, well, I know she's out. I know I don't like her, so he must not be real because he would know about her. And Jesus just sorts it all out for him. He says, do you see this woman? Point one, no, he didn't even see her. And then he says, hey, you didn't do anything for me. Who loves more? When we want to get into kingdom hospitality, it's not about analyzing, like, are they good enough? Am I good enough? Oh, what did they say? What did I say? All this thing, we get all, we get come away from conversations like that or interactions like that with, oh, I messed up or they are, I don't really like. No, not analyzing, loving. See who's before you and how can you express goodness before you? When we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, we talked about how Jesus was interrupted. He was willing to be interrupted to welcome people. It's good to have boundaries at times, but there are things that happen in life that are opportunities for us to welcome people in, and Jesus demonstrated that. And then he demonstrates that kingdom hospitality is about what we have to offer, being thankful for it. Instead of, well, if I had more than I'd do more, if I, if I was more like this person than I would do more. No, what do we have? And we offer it. And we ask God to bless it because he can multiply the impact from what we have to offer if we're willing to offer it. We talked about how Jesus, when he's talking about hospitality, he is very, what we see from him is him being intentional, like the woman at the well. 
he is intentional. He was direct, but in such a gentle, gracious way, entering into a story, a person's story, and bringing God into that story, doing it so intentionally. And this is another example of him bringing, talking to a Samaritan woman who would have been an outsider, who would have been someone that many people say, well, not talk to her. Not when you're in that political party. And Jesus crosses the barriers. And then last week, Judd talked about the first 14 verses of chapter 14 in Luke, which is what we're going to continue with, with the next set of verses that follows it. Again, Jesus being invited over to a religious, wealthy, important person's house. And he's there, and they are there just testing him. They're looking for something he'd do wrong, and, and he heals. And Judd reminded us of weight. What am I thinking? When I'm viewing other people, what am I thinking? We tend to make our own boxes, and this is who I'm comfortable fitting into my box, and this is who I'm going to interact with 90-some percent of the time, and Jesus blows up our boxes a little bit. He says, we have the opportunity to do good to all kinds of people. What are we thinking about other people? Is that how God thinks about them? And Judd also pointed out they're, they're trying to figure out who's most important. They're self-motivated. Am I important? Is this good for me? What do I get out of this? And Jesus says, that's not how it should work. That's not how it should work. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turns to the host and he says, let me tell you something. When you invite people over, don't invite your friends or your family or your relatives or your rich neighbors, because then you'll, they'll probably invite you back. You'll probably get repaid for it. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed, because they aren't going to be able to repay you, but you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And that is where we're picking up with where I'm going to read now in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just brought, bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring, into the, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. So Jesus has just made the situation awkward. Like he said things that a lot of people would want said, but when they're actually said, like, let's just talk about it behind their backs somewhere else. When you talk about it, when he just puts it right in there, these people are fighting over where they're going to sit. They are like kind of leveraging for it. And he just says, hey, all you who are trying to sneakily get to the front, that's a bad idea. Because you know what can happen? 
You go one spot too many, and then they put you to the back. It's better to be at the back and then have somebody come and get you and give you a better seat. And you could just red faces, things like that happening. He's just told the host, you know, you're really doing this just for yourself. And she, the awkwardness of someone says, well, blessed are the ones that are going to eat at the kingdom of God, right? Like kind of, I, I, I don't know if that's how it was, but it sort of seems like somebody say something to break the ice because I can cut the tension with a knife in here. And what they're referring to is the messianic banquet. There's Old Testament prophets, prophecies that there's going to be a banquet when Messiah comes back, when he has established his kingdom, when everything is as it should be, there is going to be a banquet. Now, who's going to be there? That's what they like to talk about. Who's going to be there? And they look at different passages to say, well, who's going to be there? And there's these passages that say the Gentiles will come in for the messianic banquet. And there's a lot of debate about that. The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the non-religious people, are they really going to come in? Are we really going to let them into the banquet? And there's kind of, there's different schools of thought. One of the schools of thought is like, no, that passage, that's not really what it means. Those passages, they just explain it away. That's actually the hardest argument to make. So another argument that some of the people would make at that time is that, you know, when they come in, they are going to be there, but they're going to be way out all around the edges. They don't actually get to eat at the banquet. They aren't actually invited to the banquet. These are the people who've oppressed us, abused us, said things wrong to us, that they're in charge of us. These are the people we hate. So we are going to eat in the presence of our enemies. Then there's a third thing, like, yeah, yeah, the Gentiles, the irreligious people, they'll be there, they'll be at the banquet, and we will kill them and then eat in the name of the Lord. Now, there's all kinds of Bible passages, especially in Isaiah, where they're pulling some of these thoughts out about the banquet, who's going to be at the banquet, that basically say the Jewish community, the people of Israel, were formed to be a light to the Gentiles. God said to Abram, the father of the Jewish race, of the Israeli people, your descendants are going to be a blessing to all nations. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to all nations. So the whole point is for us to shine the light to the outsiders, is to bless the outsiders, is to say this is what God looks like. Now you will... At that time, I could see like there are a lot of rules about being set apart, about how you stay close to God, about following God, about promises that this is what happens, that you'll be blessed if you follow him and obey him, and this is what happens that's not so good if you don't. There's all of that mixed in there. But the driving force behind it is so that people will know God and be able to share what he's like to the rest of the world. Well, all the nations of the earth are blessed as a result of the descendant descendants of Abraham, but that's specifically in Jesus. He's the one who came. A descendant, son of God, yes, but also a Jewish man. And he is the one by which everyone would be blessed. And he's there talking to them now, most of them with these wrong, narrow, judgmental, angry ideas, and saying, I am here to invite people in. So since you're thinking about it that way, going to verse 16, Jesus replies, a man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. 
Jesus is telling a story to make a point. The amazing thing about Jesus' stories is they often make many points. So it's not necessarily how do we unlock the puzzle of the perfect meaning that Jesus has. By his spirit, he can keep speaking through his stories in all sorts of ways, truth to us. And we're invited in to see ourselves in these stories. So he's got this story here that he's telling, and it starts with somebody has a big banquet. Now, this is the context that they've been talking about, the messianic banquet. When there is a new heaven and a new earth, when God comes and he rules and and everything is made right, how is this going to work? Who's part of it? Where are they sitting? Who's it? And he says, well, let me give you a little sense of what this is like. It's like a really rich person saying, here's a banquet. And everything's ready. You can come in. This is what God's like. If we take the rest of the Bible... And the messages that come over and over and over again in it, he is like someone who says, everything is ready. You're invited to be part of my family. You're invited to be part of my kingdom. You're invited to be part. Everything is ready. Come, everything's ready. I've done it all for you. I've paid the price for you. I've made a way for you. Now, it's hard for us I think, to always like lock into this kingdom metaphor that's in the Bible. Because we don't have, we're not very familiar with kings. I mean, the most recent example of a king that people are paying attention to is over in England. But that king doesn't say like, oh, you've, you're coming against me off with your head. Like it's just a different, he doesn't like making the laws and making the rules like the kingdoms would have worked more back at Jesus' time. So it's hard for us to get a sense of of this kingdom idea. But I think one of the ways that is helpful, another metaphor that's in the Bible, that is describing what Jesus is offering when he says, I've done it all, I've paid the price, you're all welcome, you're all invited, is that he is offering a different kind of life. He is offering life from God. Not merely the life that comes from God that we just operate on our own as humans, and he's given us the grace to do that, but a life infused with him, infused with his love. A life where we are forgiven, where we are freed, where we can have peace and assurance, a life where we're invited to be part of his family and connected with other people. A life where we get changed and we become more good and more loving. A life in which we have power available to us. A life that is indestructible, that death can't even stop because there is going to be a resurrection for us. That's the kind of life he offers. the, The kind of life he offers isn't just, hey, here's a ticket, and you can punch it in after you die when I come back and there's the messianic banquet. Then you can get into heaven because you got your ticket. No. This is eternal life, Jesus said, to know me and to know the Father who sent me. It, can, it starts now, and it lasts forever. We have access to this life to be at work in us now. Do we want the life that God gives? Do we want to follow his life? Because he has said, it's here. It's available. When he came on the scene, he said, good news, good news. The kingdom of God is available. Or another kind of life, a life filled with God is available. So repent, so change the way you think 
and live according to this, you can live a life with God now. It's available. God is with you. He's for you. He forgives you. He has done everything. Come, everything's ready. You can have life with God now. So the first point, I think I have points, kingdom hospitality. Like, this is the foundational level of kingdom hospitality, life with God. And it costs us nothing because he was willing to pay everything for it. So in light of that invitation, where do we see ourselves in this story? I'm going to reread it. Starting with verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. We, each of us, has been invited. It's all prepared. It's all been done. The kingdom of God, or life filled with God, is available to each of us. What is our response? Now, in this story, the excuses, you get one that has to do with property, possession, stuff, one that has to do with the equipment for work and work, work purpose, accomplishment, what we're doing, and one that has to do with marriage, relationships. And they seem like somewhat legitimate excuses, except that Back then, how it worked was that there was an invitation that went out to say, hey, there's, it's coming, this, this, this thing's coming, and then the second invitation to say it's ready because we killed the animal and we don't have refrigeration for this much. So now's the time. And so they say, they wait to give their no until the moment it's too late, like the food is there. They say no. Also, each of these excuses, if we were to unpack them carefully, isn't actually a very good excuse. Because you don't just buy a land on a whim. Especially if you know something. You, you watch the seasons. You watch how the land worked. You don't buy oxen and then go try them out. You try them out, and then you buy them. And the marriage thing, you would not pick this moment to get married. In fact, many don't think that it was like, I just got married so much as I want to be with this woman right now. Anyway, the points of this is these aren't very good excuses, but they are excuses that get it like, no, I, I, my, I can't prioritize this invitation 
because I got to focus on my stuff. I can't prioritize this invitation of more of God in my life because got, I've got a busy schedule. I got things to do. There's just not enough time. I can't prioritize God in my life because I am trying to be focused on people. None of those things are bad. In fact, they're good. In fact, life with God means living with him part of all those things. Those are part of being human. And he wants to join us in it. It gets into the priority level. It gets to the priority level of do we really want God and his way of life? Or would we rather say, God, we'd like you to bless us. We'd like you to, as the butler in the sky to come and help us when we need you, when we need you but we aren't going to follow you and have you set up, this is how we live. We like it more if you were like a power that we can call on when we need you. But the invitation for God's way of life is not, we're in charge and he's at our beck and call. The creator of the universe is in charge. And even though we spend most of our life living away from him without thinking about him, without prioritizing him, he still makes a way for us. But we need to turn back to him. Why would we want to punch in that ticket of life forever with God, but not want him now? Part of inviting him in is to become the kind of person who can appreciate life with God. Who starts to learn to love God. And has God love through them. The last two verses of this story, verse 23 says, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Gene McKay and my dad are here, the two people that have corrected me most on bad English in my life. <laughs> let, me, let me help you see this. So in, in English, it's hard to know the tense, like you, the word you, can be you individually, or it can be you plural. And in other languages, it's clear to say that even when it's not you, just like the verb itself. So in verse 23, the, the master told his servant, you, single, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And it seems like, verse 24, the story's just going on. But that verse, I tell you, is not singular anymore. I tell you, plural. I feel like we need a Bible translation that is like southern accent. Y'all, right? I tell y'all, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And this is how so many stories, especially the stories Jesus tells, but even the stories that are just stories about Jesus are given to us in the Bible is that they don't, so what did they do? What did they do? Did the last people that get invited, did they say yes and come in or not? They were invited now I'm going to turn to you and say, if you don't respond to the invitation, you don't get in. And the story is told in a way in which it's no longer about the people who lived back then or the people in the story. It's about us. 
What is our response to the invitation? The very next thing that said, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then he talks about counting the cost. If you're building something, you've got to know how much is there before you start a big project. If you're going to war, you want to know, do you, could I win this or not, before you go out. And he says, verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, does Jesus mean that we're literally supposed to hate people that we're closest to? No. The rest of the Bible is really clear that that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about a matter of degree of how much we prioritize him. Like, we should love Jesus so much that there is no doubt that anything else is above him. We will actually love those people closest to us better if we prioritize in that way. If we don't, if we prioritize our stuff or our schedule and all the things we need to do or even our, our you know, people in our lives, if we put those over Jesus, then they are idols. Then we're worshiping created things rather than the creator. And that's when things unravel. We just don't live well. Because we're created beings who need a creator. And the good news is we have a creator who wants to live life with us. Who wants an interactive life with us and says, anybody can come. Yeah, well, I've tried it a few times and I screwed up so I must not be good enough. No, 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 no. Anybody can come. That's part of the invitation too. I keep helping you. The question just is, do you really want me? Do you really want me enough that you're going to actually try and seek me and keep coming back to me? Because that's the invitation. The invitation is another kind of life, a life filled with God. He, God, like God wants to live life with you. He made you with something in mind, and it wasn't to put him on the shelf. It was like, this is for me and you. And this life is like part of it. But like it's a pretty short part of it. We are beings that are never going to cease to exist. There's a lot more stuff that God has in mind for us beyond our just whatever it is, 1 to 10 to 20 to 30 to 80, 100 years, whatever it is on this earth. He's got a lot more in mind. And right now, an invitation is to us. Do we want the life that he offers us? One of the ways we know how well we've accepted this invitation is do we want to be the servant? Like, I think that in my earlier days, there was a time where it was like, I know I should be talking about God and I should tell people about God and God is supposed to be the most important thing. And it just felt like kind of a duty. But I've been living life with God for a long time now. Not well, lots of the times, making mistakes. I, don't always, I often don't prioritize them. I still don't prioritize them. But I keep coming back. I keep coming back to say, yes, I want you. I want you to be the most important thing in my life. I'm going to do things that put you in position to be the most important thing in my life. And so there's more of God. I experience more of God. I see, I mean, when, God, when I just have thoughts coming to my mind about life, life, and more life, and then that smiling, ferociously good baby is here a year later. 
That is one of so many examples. Lots of times it's other people who've done the praying or things where I'm like, he's real. He's with us. He cares. It matters. It makes such a difference. So I want other people to know it. But I will be a better servant of letting other people know it if I will really receive it myself. And so that is the invitation. Will you receive a different kind of life? The kind of life that is full of God, that comes through Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you that you aren't just way out there somewhere. You are here with us now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come to each of us now. You're very personal. I love that, too. You're just so personal. You can come to each one knowing them. So we're here. I'm just going to give just a few moments of quiet, a chance for you to think about God or, or talk to God in the quietness of your heart. few more moments before we go to our last song. Um, if Jesus says to you right now, come, come to me, everything is ready. What is your response to him? God, for all of us, there is part of us that wants you, that wants you, wants to know you, to connect with you, wants you in our life. And there's another part of us that resists it, resists surrender, resists releasing control. I pray for the parts of our hearts that are saying, yes, we want you that you would pay attention to those parts of our hearts this morning and in the days to come. And that wherever there are yeses throughout this room, even in just our last few moments with this song, your presence would be made known, your love would be made known. You would fill our minds, our thoughts. Fill us up, Lord. We want to say yes to you.